Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa coming to you with an African perspective, broadcasting live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19-meter band to West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabisolo Hoko and Neto Chimani. In our top stories in Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, Botswana's former president Sir Kitumile Masire has died. UN envoy praises peacekeepers in South Sudan and South African parties welcome court ruling on secret ballot. In economics news, Saku Summit gets underway in Swaziland. And in sports news, North and South Korea could collaborate over Winter Olympics. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. Former Botswana President Sir Kitumi Lemasere has died at the age of 91. He was admitted to the intensive care unit in a Gaborone hospital over the weekend. Masere was the president of Botswana between 1980 and 1998. Since his retirement, he has been involved in numerous diplomatic initiatives in a number of African countries, including Ethiopia, Lesotho, Malawi, Mozambique, Ghana and Swaziland. South Africa's President Jacob Zuma says he is not stepping down and has rejected a call by the South African Council of Churches for fresh elections. He was answering questions in the National Assembly after the Constitutional Court ruled that National Assembly Speaker Bale Kambete has the discretion to allow the use of a secret ballot in a vote of no confidence against the President. Zuma says the ANC will reclaim the municipality. It lost to opposition parties in last year's local government elections and will emerge victorious in the 2019 general elections. He says he's confident that whether it's conducted by secret ballot or not, that he will, not, that he will win the eighth vote of no confidence against him. The memorial service for Namibian freedom fighter Antimba Tuevoya Tuevoy is taking place in the capital Vintuk. The 92-year-old struggle icon died earlier this month at his home in the city. Thousands of Namibians are expected to fill the Independence Stadium where the event will take place. Yatuevo spent 16 years on Robben Island after South African apartheid police convicted him of treason in 1968. Noma Bulane reports from Vintuk. Thank you. 
Morocco has finally admitted a group of Syrian refugees stranded at the border with Algeria since late April. The remaining group of 28 refugees was collected by Moroccan police on Tuesday and transported to the capital. In a press release, the Moroccan authorities said King Mohammed had called for them to be admitted on humanitarian grounds and to mark the Muslim holy month of Ramadan. South Sudan's media authority says it will lift a ban on around 20 foreign journalists who had been refused access to the country. Earlier this month, the government's media regulatory authority said it had banned the journalists over substantiated and unrealistic stories. The National Dialogue Steering Committee tasked with leading consultations to restore peace in the country put pressure on the media authority to lift the ban. Last month, Al Jazeera and English staff were banned from working in South Sudan after airing a report from a rebel-held part of the country. And that's the news headlines at 8.30 Central African Time. Thank you, Anne. It's 8.05 Central African time, and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on this Friday, the 23rd of June, the 174th day of 2017, with 191 days left in the year. In our top story, former President of Botswana, Serki Tumile Masire, has passed away at the age of 91. Masire was admitted to the intensive care unit in Khaburoni, hospital at the weekend. He led the country between 1980 and 1998. He led various diplomatic initiatives in Africa, including chairing a panel that investigated the 1994 Rwanda genocide and coordinating the inter-Congolese national dialogue. For more on this, SAFM Sakina Kamwendo spoke to journalists with the Botswana Guardian, Isaac Peko. That was Isaac Perko, a journalist with the Botswana Guardian, speaking to SAFM Sakina Kamwendo. Channel Africa sends our condolences to Se Masire's family and the people of Botswana. 
The memorial service of Namibian freedom fighter Andima Doivoyatoivo will be held in Windhoek today. The 92-year-old struggle icon died earlier this month at his home in the capital city. Thousands of Namibians are expected to fill the independent stadium where the event will take place. Nomabulani reports from Windhoek. Yatoivo spent 16 years on Robben Island after the apartheid police convicted him of treason in 1968. Andimba Tayovo Yatayovo will be honored with the hero's funeral, which includes a memorial service. His body will lie in state thereafter at the Parliament Gardens. Acting Permanent Secretary in the Information Ministry, Linda Aipinga Nadale. There will be various uh, speakers on the memorial service. After the service ends, the body of the late will then be taken to the Parliament Gardens, where it will lay in state overnight, and then uh, it will be taken the next day. So what happens then at the Parliament Gardens uh, tomorrow after the service is that the members of the public will come and view um, the body and then um, pay their last respect. It will overnight and it will be taken uh, the next day uh, at 8 o'clock and it will then be um, transported to the U.S. everywhere and uh, the burial will take place. Thousands of Namibians and citizens from neighboring African countries are expected to fill the independent stadium to pay respects to the man who played an immense role in the liberation of Namibia. These locals had this to say. I'm very thankful was he did a lot for Namibian people. Jatrevo is a great man. He is an icon. He is someone who inspires me. He's a straightforward man. He fought for our country, and he learned a lot of things. Yeah, where I was working also, he was a friendly man. He was not even like opposed to the sort of like, he's a hero or No, this, this man is a free man. He didn't become even a shake with him in the head. He doesn't have like, uh, to say that it's a VIP mind. He doesn't have that things. He is a friendly man. Earlier this week at a memorial service in Johannesburg, fellow Robin Island inmate, former Deputy Chief Justice Dekhar Musneke, described Yatovio as an inspiration to all Africans. A man more resolute I've never seen, so deeply committed to transforming not only Namibia, our own country, which was still under siege, if you remember, as well as all of the African continent. People like you who did so much to bring freedom to our, our continent, Namibian people, and indeed to our country. Foreign dignitaries are expected to be in attendance, including those from Zimbabwe and South Africa. Communications Minister Ayanda Kyoto will be present representing the South African government. Yatova will be buried at Heroes Acre in the capital city. I'm Noma Polani in Windhoek, Namibia. Yatoevo will be buried in a state funeral at the Heroes Acre in Windhoek on Saturday. The United Democratic Movement and various other South African opposition parties say they are vindicated by the Constitutional Court judgment, which has declared that Speaker of the National Assembly, Balegambete, must decide on whether a secret ballot will be used in a motion of no confidence in the President. The UDM brought this application to the highest court in the land after the Speaker, Balegambete, told opposition parties that she did not have the power to make such a decision.
Interestingly, the ANC has also welcomed the Constitutional Court's judgment, as Mbali Sibanyoni reports. UDM leader Bantukulomisa says this ruling now allows for ANC MPs to vote with their conscience once the motion of no confidence in President Jacob Zuma is carried out in Parliament. We ask the Speaker to use her prerogative, but she put the interest of her political party ahead of Parliament. This judgment also means that the threats which have been issued by Zuma and others, where they threaten the ANC MPs, fall flat now. Those MPs are free to vote and follow their conscience. Opposition parties brought this application collectively following President Jacob Zuma's midnight cabinet reshuffle, which saw former finance minister Pravin Gordon and his deputies sacked. The parties contend this led to the RAND plunging and a downgrade by ratings agencies. Olomisa says this ruling will give impetus to opposition parties, calling for the removal of President Jacob Zuma from office. We are going to continue to seize the initiative. Up until 2019, we have been in charge, we were seizing this initiative from the day Zuma was elected. We are still saying you cannot have a questionable character and vote that questionable character to the high office. And I hope this is a lesson for, for, for all South Africans to see. At the same time, Pope has described the Constitutional Court's judgment as a triumph for South Africa's democracy. Pope leader Musua Lugonda further echoed the words of the UDM, saying all MPs have now the responsibility to vote with their conscience. Ours is a new democracy. The constitutional clauses that uh, the Constitutional Court dealt with today have not been interpreted before. In interpreting them, the court has made it clear that those of us who are elected, once elected, and having taken our oath of office, owe it to the people of South Africa as a whole, that no political party can compel a member of parliament to vote against their conscience and against their judgment. The court says ANC MPs now have nothing to fear. This is very important because in the previous uh, election of, for instance, of President Zuma, some 69 members of the National Assembly did not vote either for candidates of the opposition or the candidate of the ruling party. It does say that they were not free. Now they will be free to exercise those 69 votes without fear of repercussions. And the threats that were being issued against members of the caucuses, especially the caucus of the ruling party, those fears are no longer having a place in our democracy. The EFF, meanwhile, says the Concord's judgment proves that the opposition parties have a responsibility to ensure that the governing party acts on behalf of the South African people. The party's Leanne Mattis. These are the people who have voted for them, and they have failed to represent the people in Parliament. We have to use our time, our resources, to come to the Constitutional Court, to ask the Constitutional Court to be able to create an environment for them to do the right thing in this country. So as opposition parties, we stand here on the 
the right side of history. And on the day when we declare, the, when the speaker declares the day for the whole motion of no confidence, you can be assured that the opposition parties are going to stand together. We are going to shut down South Africa. The DA's James Salf also says this ruling is not only a victory for opposition parties, but a victory for South Africa as a whole. We brought the motion of no confidence. We wish to now write to the Speaker and uh, have that motion uh, scheduled as soon as possible. And we will ensure that when the Speaker makes the decision that she has to now make as to whether or not it should be an open ballot or a secret ballot, that that decision is a rational decision that uh, supports the Constitution, that supports freedom, that supports fairness, and supports the people of South Africa. Meanwhile, the ANC says it welcomes the ruling. It says the Constitutional Court has refused to allow itself to be abused by opposition parties who want to co-govern with the ruling party. ANC spokesperson Sisi Gorda says opposition parties continue to misuse the courts. But what is important that the, what the other parties have the right the court to do but to order the Speaker of Parliament, which the court also refused, except to clarify that the Speaker of Parliament has got powers to decide on the secret ballot, but they can't order or instruct her. At the end of the day, it's the Speaker of Parliament who must decide, because that is another arm of stage. Gotta further says the ANC is confident that none of its members would vote with the opposition if a secret ballot is carried out. You must remember in terms of our electoral system, our members of Parliament, they represent the political party. What is expected by, by opposition parties from the ANC is unreasonable, because in their own members of Parliament, they cannot expect the same. And therefore, members of Parliament across political parties, including the ANC, their function first and foremost is the political party, which sends them in Parliament. So the members of Parliament of the ANC cannot be expected to vote otherwise, except to vote according to the caucus position, the party line. The DA has since requested for a date to Parliament for the motion of a vote of no confidence in President Jacob Zuma. Ambali Sibanyoni in Johannesburg. South Africa's President Jacob Zuma has made it clear that he does not support voting secretly in a motion of no confidence. Zuma was asked by the Freedom Front Plus in Parliament to respond on the Constitutional Court's ruling that Speaker Balegambete has the discretion to allow the use of a secret ballot in the vote of no confidence against him. Lula Mamadia reports from Parliament. President Jacob Zuma's session in the House was dominated by questions on current economic conditions, state of capture allegations, as well as questions directed personally to him. The Constitutional Court judgment on the motion of no confidence was also not spared. It was FF plus Chief Whip Cornel Mulder who raised the matter. The Constitutional Court today indicated that Honorable Speaker does have the discretion to allow a secret ballot if a motion of no confidence is brought in this House against you in person. I want to ask the Honourable President, if such a secret ballot has been brought to this House, would you support the notion of a secret ballot, yes or no? President Zuma's response was simple. There's no need to change the way voting has been done in the past. I have faced certain kind of uh, vote of no confidence. How? 
we actually reflect upon the integrity of the president whose removal from office depends from all of you who continue to make insinuations upon the office that it occupies. The EFF again did not attend the president's session, Lula Mamaja in parliament. <laughs> This is China Africa, South Africa's international radio station on shortwave, internet, and satellite. Listen to China Africa in English, Israeli, French, Sibosi, Portuguese, and Chinese. Let's go back in time to today in 1996. South African swimmer Penny Haynes wins a gold medal at the Atlanta Olympic Games. She made history by winning both the 100 meters and 200 meter events at the Games. That was today in history in the year 1996. It's 26 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. A five-member state Saku summit kicks off in Swaziland today. It follows a meeting held in Windhoek, Namibia, two months ago. South Africa's President Jacob Zuma is expected to deliver a keynote address. Outgoing Saku Chairperson King Mswati III is scheduled to outline a way forward on the efforts to strengthen inter-trade relations among the member states. Abongile Dumako reports from Swaziland. It's all systems go for the 5th Southern Africa Customs Union SACU Summit to take place at Manzini in Swaziland today. SACU includes South Africa, Botswana, Lesotho, Namibia and Swaziland. These countries are gathered here to address the challenges they face and pave a way forward seeking to advance the union. At the top of the agenda is the economy of the five countries, including cross-border trading. South Africa's ambassador to Swaziland, Hepi Mashango, says this summit comes at an important time for all the involved countries. We are trying to make sure that the, these countries which are part of SACO go forward and go forward immediately in terms of industrialization, in terms of trade, and in, in terms of the SACO sharing of, of revenue. And all of us are thinking that we are going to be able to do this uh, without any problems and hindrances. 
Trading Industry Minister Rob Davis says he's happy with the progress made by SACU thus far. He says they now seek to make sure that the union doesn't favor nor follow guidelines it used to follow during the apartheid era. Davis says they have communicated with international countries to expand international relations. We've got the discussions with um, Britain as a result of the Brexit uh, and SACU has written and indicated that as SACU we want to engage with the United Kingdom on that and we've received a positive response from them. Now the election is over. I hope that that uh, work can uh, continue. Uh, then we've also got um, uh, issues like the forthcoming World Trade Organization and so on. So there's a, there's a few trade issues that, that are down there as well. The current chairperson of SACU, Kingdom Swad the third, is scheduled to hand over the chairpersonship role to Botswana in August this year. It's where all five member states are expected to advance their agenda of uplifting their country's economic tool and improve the life of the ordinary. I'm Abongile Dumago in Babane, Swaziland. Going back in time to today in 1984, Vanessa Williams became the first Miss America to resign her title after nude photographs of her taken in 1982 were published in Penthouse magazine. That was Stain History in the year 1984. Our headlines up next to Than Musa. In the headlines, the Botswana nation mourns following the death of former President Sir Kitumile Masere. The memorial service for Namibian freedom fighter and Dimba Tuevo is taking place in the capital Vintuk and South Africa's media authority to lift a ban on around 20 foreign journalists who had been refused access to the country. Those are the stories making headlines. Keep 
Peacekeepers at the UN mission in South Sudan, UNMIS, are being praised by the top UN official in the country for their speedy response in support of a recent humanitarian emergency in the north. The 80 blue helmets from Rwanda were helicoptered into the remote village of Aburok, located in the Upper Nile region, where some 25,000 people had taken refuge from the conflict. Their presence helped create conditions so that aid workers could come in and provide assistance to the displaced people, thus saving lives, said UNMIS Chief David Shearer, who is also the UN Secretary-General Special Representative for South Sudan. Shearer was on the ground in Abu Rock earlier this week and spoke to Daniel John Dickinson. We saw a, a looming crisis here of monumental proportions of cholera broke out amongst the 25,000 people who had gathered here. People worried about the insecurity, so we flew in um, about 80 Rwandan soldiers, peacekeepers, and those peacekeepers gave confidence for humanitarians to come in a couple of days later. And the humanitarians very quickly got water, sanitation, and started treating people, um, and undoubtedly saved the lives of hundreds of people. Um, cholera would have ripped through this community otherwise. You've been in Aberrocks. Conditions are pretty tough. The conditions here are really rough. I mean, people don't come here because um, they want to. They come here because they're scared and they're running away. When it rains here, as somebody just said to me, it's not so much mud but glue that the ground turns into and it sticks to everything. Um, so it's very, very tough conditions. And there's a rain season now for the next few months. So the humanitarians that are here have already got their work cut out for them. It's very remote, very isolated, very tough conditions. Um, and they're trying to keep now down about 10,000 people alive. Relations between uh, civil and military aren't always that easy. How did it work out between the humanitarians and all this? It's always been a complex problem, that relationship this time. Um, because we came in here early, uh, because we gave the humanitarians some confidence to, to be here, they came in and got on with the job. I mean, we kept somewhat separate in terms of our geographical location. But nevertheless, the 80-odd soldiers that were here with three armoured vehicles as well meant that um, the humanitarians could get on with their, their job and do what they know best, which is basically keeping people alive. They did a fantastic job, uh, but the relationship was great. It was very symbiotic, and I think it, uh, it really is a model for the future, what we'd like to do in the future. To what extent can this model be replicated elsewhere? Well, I'd like to see uh, us do the same thing in other areas when we need to helicopter in a, a light footprint of, of troops um, and then be able to do the other work that we need to do, whether it be humanitarian or human rights or uh, try and bring communities together some reconciliation work, which we're doing. I guess the troops on the ground gives the cover for all of those other operations to carry on. It's a bit of comfort. I mean, it's a pretty difficult place here. Um, and it's very unstable and it's very volatile. Having unmissed peacekeeping forces on the ground gives people just a degree of confidence to get on with their jobs. The 80 peacekeepers have now been withdrawn. What happens next? They're withdrawn. They're within 30 minutes flight of here if they want to or where they need to come back. But uh, we're going to follow up with um, little air patrols that'll come in here, put people on the ground. It won't be a big presence, it'll be 20, 25 guys on the ground. Um, but, and they'll do that on a fairly regular basis, just keep an eye on things, again, give people a bit of confidence, and if need be, we can call up 
more reinforcements if they need it. I'm hoping they won't be. I think that what we're seeing here at the moment is very, uh, very heartening. Uh, so hopefully we'll, we won't be needed. So is there a quick response, a nimble response? Yeah, look, this is all about um, responding fast. It's something that uh, we hadn't done before. It's something that um, our peacekeepers aren't known for. Um, getting in, in, uh, in helicopters, flying in at very, very short notice, establishing a base on the ground in a, a potentially hostile environment, and, um, and then getting on with the job of bringing others in to do the humanitarian work. Um, it worked really well here. Um, and it set a precedent and a bit of a model for the rest of our peacekeeping troops to look at and help us sort of practice and to get it all together. So I'm very, very pleased about this. I mean, at the bottom line here, there are hundreds of people who are alive today who would not have been alive um, if we hadn't done this. And that helps me sleep at night. And that was David Shearer, Chief of the UN Mission in South Sudan, UNMIS, speaking to UN Radio's Daniel Dickinson. Let's go back in time to today in 1904. The ice cream cone is invented by Charles E. Menchies during the Louisiana Purchase Exposition in St. Louis in the U.S. That was today in history in 1904. A young mother who escaped conflict in South Sudan is grateful to have found shelter and safety at a UN-run refugee camp in neighboring Uganda. Akwi Gairi fled eastern equatorial state last month with her small children and her baby on her back after her husband was killed. Uganda is hosting more than a million refugees from countries like South Sudan, Burundi and the Democratic Republic of Congo, which is placing a strain on resources. The government and the UN are this week hosting a solidarity summit in the capital, Kampala, to drum up support for refugees and the communities hosting them. Justin Sambira met up Gaira at the Impevi Camp Reception Centre in northern Uganda, where she's been living for almost a month. My husband is still. I come with my sister, my elder sister, then our younger sister. I'm sorry for your loss. Were you home when, it, when your husband was killed? I was at home. But this is called Kasim at night, then they take him away. They slaughtered him, not killed by gun, by knife. So you decided to leave with your sister and your children? Yeah, 
because we are fearing this people may come and I also may collect us. That's why we decide to come in order of Uganda and Sudan to help our lives. Do they say why they're fighting? Uganda, we are the civilian, we don't know why they're fighting. Do you feel safe here? Yeah, I feel safe here even. I can't go back to Sudan again. Do you have any family that is still in South Sudan? I left my mom there. Do you hear about your mother? Is she okay? It was last week. We had where we left. They also get fight there. They fight in two places. So you don't know what happened? Yeah, up to now my mother don't have any communication between them and me. And your children, they're okay? Yeah, my two children, they're okay, but this one now is your sick. Is it because of the road travel? Yeah, it's a very big travel. It must have been very difficult to bring your children. It is very difficult because we don't have food, we don't have any blanket or covering. We just come with one clothes. So what were you doing at night? You were just hiding in the bushes? Yeah, we just staying. When we get a big tree, we go and hide ourselves. We make fire, then it's in there. And now, do you do you have food? Do you have a blanket? Not yet. We do not yet receive those things. But you you will get that. Yeah, we will get. We will get our guts. If you were to give a message to leaders, what would you say? Yeah, I can say that people look after us because our life is now in their hands. Let them look the way to protect us. But now we feel safe to when we are in Uganda. And what message do you have for the United Nations? For the United Nations, I give thanks to them. Let them give courage to these children, which we are holding them. They don't have father. They have MAU children, they are four. We are holding them, but it's very difficult to keep them because we have now recently we don't have any place to stay. That was Akwi Gayiri, a refugee in Uganda, speaking to UN Radio's Jocelyn Sambira. The BBC has been told about a makeshift prison in Libya where hundreds of African migrants are being held for ransom. More than a thousand Nigerians have been repatriated from Libya on EU fund funded flights this year. The BBC's Nigeria correspondent Martin Patience reports from Lagos. It's more than a hundred migrants in front of me. Buses are bringing them from the airport to this processing centre. And what's very striking is there's a real sense of relief that they're back in Nigeria. Not joy, but relief. And that's because many had brutal experiences in Libya. So many people in prison, and it's not easy. They are suffering, so I tell God I'm alive today. And I'm among people that came to Nigeria, so they are very happy that. I'm glad I'm because ever since I left, left Nigeria for, for Europe, I love you, I start. I've been in Libya, so life in Libya is like laughing hell. It was always a dark and desperate journey, but now it appears to be increasingly dangerous as undocumented migrants fall prey to armed militias and criminal gangs operating in Libya. Along with hundreds of others, Sheon Femi was tortured in a makeshift prison for four months. He saw a man 
beaten to death. Here he describes the daily floggings, which started just after dawn. What did you bring like this? thinking of flogging again because you've not paid your money. If I've paid now, they will not be there. So since I've not paid now, I'll be expecting them to come and give us the next money. Have the money. They give us money to That's it. The pipe. That's what they call money to Did you think you were going to die? Yep. Yep. I think I'm going to die by that place. Because I'm doing it big me every day. Sharon was freed after his ex-girlfriend in Nigeria paid a ransom of 500 US dollars to his kidnappers. Now, he's back in Lagos with nothing. He's living in a slum, trying to piece his life back together. But some migrants are getting help. Uh, I just wait 15 minutes, 15 minutes, 15 minutes. Okay, I'm shaving. This hairdresser is run by five Nigerians who recently returned from Libya. Paid for by the European Union, it's part of a job creation scheme aimed at stemming migration. Chitima Francisca says she was straight when she first went to Libya. It's no good there. If you want to go, you go with your brother or sister or your parents. But just to go with somebody that you don't know is no good because what you're going to get to do is prostitution. And that report by the BBC's Nigeria correspondent, Martin Patience. I'm Tabi Solohoko for Channel Africa's Economic Update. Good morning. Five countries who are member states of the Southern African Customs Union are gathering in Swaziland for the fifth Saku Summit. The summit follows a meeting held in Venthuk, Namibia, two months ago. South African President Jacob Zuma is expected to deliver a keynote address while outgoing Saku Chairperson King Muswadi III is scheduled to outline a way forward on the efforts to strengthen inter-trade relations among the member states. South Africa's ambassador to Swaziland, Happy Mathang, says this summit comes at an important time for all the involved countries. We are trying to make sure that the, these countries which are part of SACO go forward and go forward immediately in terms of industrialization, in terms of trade, and in, in terms of the circle sharing of, of revenue. And all of us are thinking that we are going to be able to do this uh, without any problems and hindrance. Meanwhile, South Africa's Trade and Industry Minister Rob Davies says he is happy with the progress made by SACU thus far. He says they have communicated with the United Kingdom in a bid to expand international relations and secure funding for unions member states. How should the finances of SACU involved in the future? How should they involve in such a way that we do in fact uh, have funding for cross-border projects? Because it's not a single cent of the money at this moment that goes to support any kind of cross-border project of any sort, either infrastructure or industrial development. And then the second one is the 2002 treaty says that we must move towards a a stronger co-determination of tariffs. 
Egyptian President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi has ratified a stamp duty on the stock exchange transactions for both buyers and sellers. Al-Sisi also approved an extension of a freeze on capital gains for three years. The country originally imposed a 10% tax on capital gains in 2014 as part of efforts to replenish depleted state coffers. But it suspended the tax a year later under pressure from investors for a period of two years. Thursday's decree extends that freeze for another three years. Volkswagen SA has invested 86,000 US dollars in a triple BEE initiatives trust to develop black-owned suppliers in the automotive sector in the country. The trust, which was officially launched in Newton Hague in the Eastern Cape, will provide financial assistance, business development and access to markets through supplier development relationships for black-owned suppliers. VW Group SA chairperson Thomas Schaeffer. In order to make a notable positive impact on the development and growth of black suppliers, an ecosystem of support is required. And the VW Triple BWE Initiatives Trust is part of this ecosystem. The launch today is really aimed at the black owned suppliers in the sector and those suppliers that require assistance to improve the transformation and, in particular, ownership credentials. Namibian President Hey Gengob has agreed with a group of business people that bureaucracy was hampering the growth of the country's economy. Speaking about the long process of registering a company in Namibia, he said this should ideally take only one to two days. The group met the president at State House to discuss issues raised by business people across the country and to pledge their support to him and government. The U.S. dollar trades at 13.1 in South Africa. It's at 10.16 in Botswana and at 9.21 in Zambia. 7.8 to the British pound, 8.9 to the euro. Gold $1,250, platinum $930 an ounce. Brand crude $45, 65 cents a barrel. Am Tabiso Lohoku. A sports update up next with Neto Chimani. Thank you, Lulu. Good morning, sport fans. Starting off with cricket news, the Proteas will need to, to put in a significantly improved performance to keep the T20 International Series against England alive in the second match at the county ground in Taunton today. Proteas batsman Farhan Behardin says the squad will need to make a quick regroup given the short turnaround of matches, which means moving past the disappointing performance on Wednesday and looking forward to improving in the next. Behardin's 64 of 52 balls may have come in a losing course, but his career best score has given him confidence going into today's match. He says his previous experiences for the multiply titans helped him overcome the pressure on Wednesday evening. On to cycling news. Chris Froome will have the benefit of a formidable Team Sky support crew as the Britain 6 f the Tour de France victory next month. Each tour to me, it, it tells a different story, it's a different 
different battle in terms of, of getting that yellow jersey and then trying to hold on to it. And each each tour is just so unique. So I mean, to get a to get a fourth victory would just be would just be incredible. The British outfit confirmed its rider lineup yesterday for the race, which starts in Dusseldorf on July the 1st, with specialist climbers Michael Landa and Mikel Nieve from Spain and Colombia's Sergio Henao all included. I don't think this year's course necessarily suits me as, as well as uh, previous Tour de France courses have. I say that because of the, the lack of uh, mountaintop finishes and also the lack of uh, time trial kilometers. But having said that, it means it's going to be a much closer race, a lot more, a lot more exciting for the fans, and um, I'm just going to have to make sure I'm absolutely my best to, to take, take advantage of many situations out on the road. Fellow Britain and trusted sidekick Geraint de Thomas, who crashed out of the Giro d'Italia after being brought down by a police motorbike, also makes the list, as does Poland's Michale Kiadwoski, who, like Thomas, is known for his versatility. The squad is completed by Vasil Kirienka, Belarus, Christian, Christian Nice from Germany, and Luke Rowe from Britain. And finally, in tennis news, former world number one Victoria Azarenka's comeback ended in a second-round defeat at the Maloka Open last night with the two-time Grand Slam title winner losing 6-1, 6-3 to Croatia's Anna Konju. The 27-year-old Belarusian playing her first event in over a year after taking time out to give birth to her first child went down in 75 minutes to her 19-year-old opponent. The Maloka Grass Court t- tournament is Azarenka's only event before Wimbledon which gets underway on July the 3rd. Thank you for tuning to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. More sports news in the next hour. Recapping our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, Botswana's former president, Sir Aki Dumile Masire, has died. UN envoy praises peacekeepers in South Sudan. And South African opposition parties welcome court ruling on secret ballot. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today and for the week. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumutsu Ramagadza and Jane Rabutanta, technical producers Fiso Mashiko and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at infochannelafrica.co.za or tweet us at Rise Africa or send an SMS on 277-969-57930. I'll take us to the top of our for the news on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa. It's Tiwa Savage with a song titled If I Start to Talk. Bye-bye.